Hi, I'm Ross Blum, and I beat the often path by accepting what's in front of me and trying to make the most of every opportunity that comes my way, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer, and on today's episode, we have a first. We've got somebody else named Ross on the show. What? Now, Ross Blum must be a pretty cool dude because he shares the same name as me. I'm only just guessing. Although, based on his accomplishments, I think it's actually more accurate to say that I share the same name as him. He's the president and COO of Skyline Robotics, makers of Osmo, the world's first high-rise window cleaning robot. All those windows you see downtown, well, someone's got to clean them, and apparently it's a $40 billion industry. Skyline Robotics have already received millions in funding, and Ross has a meteoric rise to the top that I think you'll find really fascinating. He's innovated his way to success in an unlikely category, so there's lots of gold to be found in this episode. Now, it's still weird for me to say my own name about someone else, but I'll just introduce him one last time and hopefully get it over with. Here's Ross Blum of Skyline Robotics. Well, welcome to the show, Ross. It's the first time I've ever had to say my own name to a podcast guest or a person in general. I never come well, across another Ross. How rare I, is that I, for you? I, I know we're we're pre, we're a rare breed, Ross. Rare and breed. you know, it's nice to be talking to someone you have the same intellect here. And well, I wouldn't say that, as, as people will soon discover via your pedigree. I, I, th- I wish, I wish, I appreciate the compliment, but you too will have known what it's like to grow up in the shadow of Ross Perot, Ross Geller. Which which person from Friends are you? Uh, you had to be Ross. Life. Yeah, you know, when you're at camp. Even when, though you're obviously more of a Joey or a Chandler. Like, well, yeah, but like any Rachel that you meet, everyone's like, oh, like Ross and Rachel. Oh, you, you got to get together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. We're going to so put this. I, I've been through that. Hashtag Ross struggles. And all of the three <laughs> people in the world will like that hashtag. <laughs> High five from across the wire. Um, but obviously, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. I'm super excited to share your story because of the twists and turns that it's taken. Also, you're working on a really cool project right now that's super relevant for not just where we are, but where we're headed as a species. And there are a lot of topics to get into along all of those fronts. So why don't you start with with where you are now, and then we'll work our way backward into where you started from. Perfect. So uh, I'm currently I'm the president and COO of a company called Skyline Robotics. Skyline Robotics was incorporated in 2017 uh, in Israel. I joined the company on December 2nd, 2020, um, and officially have been here for 16 and a half, 17 months now. So it's been uh, it's been a wild ride in terms of trying to reinvent this industry of uh, facade access, starting with window cleaning. Uh, but one day at a time, you know, lots of fun people that, that we get to come across, meet, uh, work with and otherwise, because what we do is really differentiated. It's really special, uh, but it takes a lot of work to, to change the way an industry works. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about doing this show is that I get to learn new words like facade access. Sounds very fancy. <laughs> well, you know, at, at the end of the day, and I, I think we do have video here, uh, you know, our goal with this company is to do what it says on my hat here. So own we want to own the facade. It says own the uh, facade. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so we're going to try to own the facade, which goes beyond OTF. window cleaning. And, uh, you know, it, it's this sort of moniker that I think has resonated really well, like within our team, um, you know, beyond just being like, we're going to automate window cleaning and stuff like that. You know, the, the vision is bigger you know, with this product, 
Uh, the vision's even bigger than the facade with what we can do with our technology. Yep. Uh, but we got to prove it every day, uh, coming to work every day, hungry, humble, and ready to work. Yep. Well, it's yet another thing, and I, and I love this in general, businesses that nobody ever thinks of until it's mentioned to you, just as a casual person. You never think of window cleaning as a, what is it, a $70 billion plus dollar business? Is that what your website said? <laughs> Uh, it can, on our website, we have or market, 40, I should say. Uh, yeah. So on, on the website, we have 40, I've seen 40, uh, yeah. reports up to 65. Okay. Um, so we didn't just pick like the highest number. Um, you know, it's, it's an industry that's, uh, candidly has lost a lot, lacks a lot of transparency in, in a lot of things that happen with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but if you just think about it, like, you know, every will, every building in the world, whether it's a skyscraper or someone's home typically is getting their windows cleaned. Uh, but it's something that, you know, as you mentioned, like no one really thinks about, but it happens everywhere and it's happening all the time. Like once every 15 years, you see Neo climb out onto the balcony in the matrix and you're dimly aware that the only reason he could theoretically escape the building is because of window cleaners. And then it dips away for another 10 years and we never hear about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, big well, industry. It's, either ne- it's either Neo or Spider-Man or you know, Spider-Man, one or right. the other, <laughs> right? The physics defying Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, but obviously it's, it's scary. And that's the whole point. You're hanging from a couple of wires. It's scary. It feels dangerous, whether it is or not, it looks dangerous. Seems like people would have to have a certain amount of guts to do it. And according to your website, it's an aging population. The general window washer of today that is a human is over 40 years old, 74%, I think. That, that, yeah, that's correct. So the statistics are that 74% of window cleaners in the U.S. are above the age of 40, and only 10% are between the ages of 20 and 30 years old. And I think that's really happened because if you put yourself in the life of a window cleaner, uh, as you mentioned, you know, here in New York City, you're hanging a thousand feet in the air, doing manual labor. It can be anywhere from 40 degrees to 120 degrees outside. And no matter what, you've got to get the job done. Um, and here, even in the U.S. and specifically in New York, where we have really, really tight compliance regulations for work at heights, as it's called, um, unfortunately, some bad things still can happen. Uh, so we, we do envision this industry becoming a lot safer. And we get interest on that front, not just from the buildings and the clients because it affects their insurance policies, but really actually the insurance providers as well, uh, you know, are keeping a close tab on us and understanding how we're going to operate this stuff, uh, you know, more and more in the U.S. and how it can impact, uh, you know, how they approach the industry as well. So, you know, this this use case and this application not just touches the service providers who, you know, provide the service at the end of the day, but the property managers, the the developers of the real estate assets themselves and, you know, peripherally the insurance companies. Well, it's it's a super fascinating industry. It's a super fascinating idea. And now let's jump back. So the business is very cool. Obviously, the future, and we'll get into the implications of that. But you came from sports management. You've had a few twists and turns in your own career. And as you said at the very beginning, you followed these turns where they've led you. So where did your career start and how did you end up here? Is this at all where you thought you would be? Uh, so I'll, I'll answer that first question. Uh, that last question first, which is no, this is not where I thought I would be. But let me take you through the story a, a little bit. Um, and for me, it starts with Babson College, where I studied entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, Babson was a pretty unique education from the standpoint that as a freshman, you're forced to run a business with your classmates. The school actually one. will, will yeah, oh yeah, the school will okay. give you up to five thousand uh, dollars. 
Um, and my, my class or the half of my class that I worked with on it started a grocery delivery service where, where our supplier was Costco. We called it groceries to go and not everyone on campus had a Costco card. Um, so we set up like a basic website, uh, allowed people to, to make orders. I think we took about $4,500 from the school to get up and running. Um, and anything that you make above sort of uh, what you owe back to the school gets donated to a charity that you partner with. But for a whole semester, you're actually running a business with your classmates as 18 year olds. Um, and so working with the marketing team, working with the business people, working with the, the tech people on the, on the website and stuff like that, it's a, it's a really unique experience um, and one that I wouldn't sort of trade. So when I, when I concluded my time at Babson, it was when sports rights fees for like the NBA and the NFL were just getting like astronomical. You know, that was like when it was starting to be, you know, uh, just like a billion dollars a year you know, to, to broadcast. And now, now I think we're at multiple billions of dollars a year. But I was like, there's got to be a way to create a business at this sort of like intersection of like TV and sports. And I was really passionate about sports. So I did go to Georgetown and, and get a master's in sports management. Wow. Um, the outlets from that program, though, weren't necessarily what, what I was looking for at the time. So I made the decision to actually go to law school back here in New York City and uh, went to Cardozo here in New York. Um, and in my third year at law school, I got to join what was called the tech startup clinic. So uh, for those who don't know, a clinic is typically how you can work with people outside of the school, giving them legal advice under the guidance of a professor or an actual lawyer. So we got to work with uh, a bunch of founding teams doing everything from incorporating, you know, uh, you know, the very beginning stages of, of their entity all the way through doing different types of legal research, drafting, you know, different legal agreements, terms of service and privacy policies, and just fell back in love with this notion that people were like living, eating, sleeping, breathing, you know, like what, what they were doing every single day. And I didn't have that same passion, you know, sitting in a, you know, sitting as a summer, you know, law associate, you know, in a cubicle, like billing hours. So even though I had gone to law school and I feel like I use my legal degree like basically every day, it's a, it's a great way to sort of evaluate risk, uh, you know, in a number of ways. And that's one of the biggest things that I've taken out of that education. Um, I knew I didn't want to go, you know, sit in a cubicle for my life and, and bill hours. Um, so, look, I studied for the bar. I passed the bar here in New York. Um, so technically, I'm an attorney, you know, here in the state of New York. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I wanted to find my way into the startup world. And as a as a lawyer coming out of law school, most startups don't typically look for you know young lawyers, you know, to to bring in. Hmm. So it was actually like a little bit difficult to find sort of my first home. Uh, but eventually, I was able to convince a company called PingMD to bring me on as a, a legal intern at okay. first and just help sort of like strategize with them, fix up their documents and stuff like that. My my job as a legal intern, I think, lasted about one month because they quickly made me a full time employee and saw that Dang. I could do much more uh, than, you know, just doing some legal documents for them. So took over the sales team, took over the marketing team um, and felt like we were starting to gain some traction. I joined the company about four years after it had started. I think investors had uh, invested about $9 million in the company to, to that point. Um, and then 10 months into my journey at PingMD, I got a call 
uh, from the chairman saying, you know, it, you know, we're, we're not really pleased with the performance of the company. Hmm. Could you go and sell the company? Um, and so as a 26 year old with no experience doing this, but an entrepreneur at heart, you know, looked at him in the eyes and said, said, of course I can go do this for you. So, uh, you know, had to learn a lot really, really quickly, uh, but built the decks, found the potential buyers, got the team ready, got the product ready. Um, and in about 120 days, we, we were able to get a deal done, uh, selling to a company based out of Miami. And the board of PingMD was really, really pleased with the performance that I had sort of given them. And we didn't get all of their money back, but it was a nice capital recovery deal sort of at, at the end of the day. And they all shot me around to their other investments in New York City. So, you know, went on a bunch of interviews, uh, got a few offers and decided to join a company called Quid. Uh, Quid, which still is a rare digital goods marketplace. Uh, was exploring this notion of digital collecting and digital ownership much before everyone knew what the term non-fungible <laughs> token or NFT was. Right. So starting in 2016, uh, this company was focused on this notion of digital collecting and digital ownership. I was brought on first in a partnerships role. So we wanted to take, uh, or sorry, we wanted to leverage other people's intellectual property in order to be able to market to users, bring them onto our platform, monetize the users, and then reinvest that, you know, into more content for the platform. Um, so we were able to get deals done with uh, a lot of people, Marvel, CBS, Fox, Sony, Disney, Hasbro, the NBA, Major League Baseball, got 325 brands uh, on the platform. And again, sort of quickly started to rise through, through the ranks at Quid. Um, and, you know, first took over the creative studio, even though I'm not a creative, uh, but, you know, figured out some ways to create content a little more efficiently, uh, as we were going, then took over the live operations team, uh, you know, which actually managed the, the live marketplace 24, seven, 365. And, uh, then, you know, we were able to do a nice big series a out of a company called Sequoia capital. Um, and, uh, about six or seven months later, I think I got promoted to COO to, you know, oversee the day-to-day of the company at that company. Um, unfortunately we weren't able to get the unit economics, right? So the lifetime value of a customer compared to the customer acquisition costs, uh, to really go out and get that nice big series B. So once again, I was tasked with, uh, an M&A process. Uh, so we, we did sort of pursue that again. We got a few offers, uh, you know, for the company and we decided to sell to a company called Animoca Brands, which is a blockchain gaming company out of Hong Kong. So that deal closed, uh, you know, one day before I officially joined Skyline Robotics as its uh, COO at the time. And then more recently as its as president and COO. Uh, but it's been a, it's been a long journey to get here. And back to where I started, uh, you know, the the kickoff of this uh, podcast, you know, to to me, the thing that I'll always look back on is just being willing to accept an intern job somewhere, even though I had just gone through law school and I'm a lawyer here in New York and sort of not being too proud of, you know, what I had achieved academically to be able to pursue the things that I wanted, you know, in my job. So if I were a gambling man, I shouldn't place a bet on you is what the moral of that story is, because clearly you were a sinking ship. I wouldn't. I mean, how everything you've ever gone to is just a whoop straight to the top, just immediately right to the top. 
How does that happen? How do people notice that? And how do you how have you sidestepped politics and any of external forces who might have wanted to keep you down or that can often exist in these type of structures? I think no matter what job you're in, you're not always going to love your boss, right? Like there's things about your boss you may like, there's things about your boss you may not like, but at a bare minimum, you always have to satisfy your boss. So I've never said, you know, no, certainly I go back and and try to parlay some things or or make some changes to to what I'm being asked to do. But then I've always uh, taken it upon myself to just put in extra effort. So there's things that I believe should be happening at companies that weren't happening. And just because the management team didn't think that resources should be allocated or money should be spent in that direction, I never allowed that to sort of stop me from pursuing it. So at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's a lot of sort of extra work to pilot a lot of extra initiatives, uh, you know, that are happening. But I I tell my team every day, like, you know, you got to get the stuff done that that we need to get done as a company. But if you believe in something uh, like put the effort in, show, show me that you believe in it. Don't just tell me that like, you wish we were doing that. You wish we were doing this, uh, make it happen. And no, there's nothing holding you back from, from making things happen. And I think that people get a little too, um, you know, stuck in the mindset that if someone's telling them, no, they have to accept that answer. The life of a startup though, is, uh, constantly people telling, you no. Mm. Whether whether it's pitches that you make, you go to investors, um, you know, it, it's constantly people saying no. So, you know, for, for me, people saying no is just part of a process um, and I'll keep going, you know, and try to drive through that door no matter what. So cool. What a great attitude to have. And that's led you some really interesting places. And now you've got this new thing. And again, relatively soon. So when everybody else is struggling, you're making moves during the pandemic. You just... Uh, you just switched under two years ago to this new thing. A hundred percent. And look, I, I got to come into a company that, you know, had spent a, a number of years developing technology. Uh, no real commercialization in the business, you know, when I joined. And um, but I was able to, to leverage the technology that that was built in order to create that first major commercial deal for us which we're really, really, really proud of um, and happy with. And, you know, we're, we're partnered with the largest window cleaning company in New York City, uh, which is the largest window cleaning market uh, in terms of dollar value, sure. uh, you know, on, on the planet. And, um, you know, we're, we, we, take, we have the attitude that, you know, every day we have to earn it. So just because we have a deal, just because, you know, money's coming in the door now, not just from investors, but in terms of revenue as well, uh, we, we have a big chip on our shoulder and it takes that chip to go out and try to change and revolutionize an industry that is stagnant, that is old, that is antiquated. Um, and that really needs to be rethought. Yeah. Did you ever see those Google questions that were circulating the Google interview questions? I'm sure they've changed them up by now, but these kind of puzzles or riddles that they used to try to throw people off with when they were trying to get a job um, at Google. Did you ever see that a few I, years back? I, I, va- I vaguely remember this, yes. I can't remember the specifics, but I, I do remember uh, getting a few emails about it. You could probably Google it, but one of the questions is, uh, how much would you charge to wash all of the windows? I believe it was in San Francisco, but let's say New York City. What's your answer to that? Um, however much someone's willing to pay me. <laughs> okay. I think the whole point of it was that it is a trick question, obviously, because people are puzzling. They're calculating how many windows and whatever. Yeah. But the answer that they're looking for is $45 per window. 
So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, look, it's, it's a tough, um, thing to come up with a number like that. Obviously I think that there's a, a lot of windows here. Um, there's a lot of need for window cleaning T- Typically it's in a tenant contract in a commercial building that you will have your windows cleaned. It's often in residential contracts as well. Um, and you know, the, the beauty of what we're doing is we're not asking people to pay for things that they don't already pay for. So there's already a revenue model that's like naturally built into this. And yeah, we can reduce costs um, and things like that over time, but we really give a building a different way to sort of plan out its operations as well. So in a market like New York, uh, where the weather is pretty good for maybe seven, eight months out of the year, um, you know, you have to get all of your facade operations done in those seven or eight months. And typically, it's tough to get everything scheduled, organized, and actually operate the way that you you hope it will. Um, and sometimes there can be mechanical issues here or there that cause a delay on one project or another. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we can save people a, a month, two months, three months, uh, you know, of time throughout a year, because we cannot just provide window cleaning services, but we can also handle things like inspection and some other you know auxiliary services over time as well. The, the time savings is massive. Um, and, you know, in, in an industry that is largely antiquated, has never brought analytics, data, or otherwise, you know, to the forefront of, of what it's doing, um, there's just such a tremendous opportunity uh, to reinvent this industry, not just from the perspective of the service provider, but really from the asset owner or the developer, you know, themselves. Because right now here in New York, they might get an update every five to six years on sort of like how healthy, you know, their facade is. Um, And that's based on a local regulation called local law 11. Um, And without local law 11, I'm sure that the, the time sort of uh, the the time would be much longer than those five or six years. However, as we've spoken to more and more developers, um, you know, what seems to have happened over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, is people are really starting to view these buildings not just as uh, you know crowns in in their uh, you know sort of uh, uh, sorry gems in their crown, sure. Uh, but but at the end of the day, these are really being viewed as assets. Yeah. And most of the technology that's being put into these buildings, a lot of it's related to energy efficiency in one way or another, or it's a lot of like lead generation technology to help you find your next you know tenant in some building. But there's no one that's really focused on what happens outside of the four walls. Mm. And we're really, really interested by that sort of dichotomy that we bring to the table because we think that there's very few options, even in the near future, that people will be able to get real data analytics and insights on how healthy their facade is. Very cool. Well, it brings up now we can talk a little bit about AI and uh, the replacement of jobs and those aspects, big things that are at the forefront of the global conversation right now. So on the one hand, it's a dangerous job. On the one hand, saving human lives, of course, is is a big deal. On the other hand, it's easy to imagine that if you've seen those documentaries on rock climbers, I imagine there's a lot of people who get a big kick out of hanging out on the outside of a very tall building in New York City by themselves, adrenaline junkies or whatever you want to call it. So we've got some people who are probably upset about the idea of losing any kind of job. And then we've got this other side, which is how do we make things more efficient, collect data, how do we make them better? And that's the side that you're on. Some of this is, of course, inevitable. Some of it just seems inevitable. How do you think people should think about just what they might call AI taking our jobs or robots taking our jobs as a general thing? 
Yeah, look, uh, it, it's it's a fair statement to like a, a a good degree, but at the end of the day, the the data is the data. So we talked earlier in this conversation about the age of window cleaners, um, the the rate that people are signing up for the job, and unfortunately, there's still obligations to clean windows. And when you pair those obligations with the with sort of like the rate of new development of buildings, which in the U.S. Uh, in the last ten years for buildings over 150 meters. Uh, that rate has increased 176% compared to the 10 years prior. Um, and so you've got an aging workforce with no new people signing up and only more and more windows to clean. Right. So the only two solutions to the problem is that the service providers are going to have to start paying extreme amounts of money to be able to recruit people and then pass those costs onto the, the building themselves. So much higher costs for window cleaning, or there simply has to be a better way. But the way that we speak about our technology is about workforce augmentation. So we, we think that these guys who do go out on the side of the buildings, they're much smarter than they get credit for. They can handle doing more, uh, being upskilled and, and really operating in a safer sort of way. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have a human on site on the rooftop because they're monitoring the system uh, you know, as it's working. Uh, they're there, you know, just in case anything happens, but but really for compliance reasons as well. Like when when the crane on the roof of a building is in use, you you do need someone to sort of like be there uh, from the safety standpoint. So we will never have zero people, you know, on site. But sure, the end goal is to have fewer people on site, uh, giving them a really really powerful tool to be able to complete the task, upskill the labor and retrain them on this new way of doing it. And we believe that it would cause uh, an increase at the rate that people would sign up for this job as well. So we actually think we could create more jobs, uh, you know, than are being lost essentially, because again, we still have people on site. We're not going from three people to zero people. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's the way that, that we view the world. I think that there's some fair statements that are made about AI taking jobs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, um, if it's an industry that people don't want to work in, and again, the data backs that up, um, you know, whose job are we taking? Yep. I don't know. I have not heard anything from the window cleaning community on this. I'm just assuming that somebody out there is, hey, you took our jobs. Uh, but yeah, it, it does seem like the obviously the workforce is shifting and the types of jobs are shifting. The kinds of jobs that people will do are shifting and fewer dangerous jobs, fewer menial tasks, more strategic, more managerial. Yeah, 100%. But it's, um, it's really the, to the statement that you just made. In the last 20 to 30 years, the educational diversity that people can actually get these days, and therefore the vocational sort of diversity that's available to people these days, much proliferated by tech companies, I got to say, because uh, tech companies do everything. And now you can always find a company that's doing this niche thing that you always right. had like a, a passion about. Anything you never um, thought of before. Right. But but the opportunities are, well, I could go, you know, work at this thing I'm really passionate about or I could go, you know, hang on the side of a building and, uh, you know, work in extreme conditions, uh, but still have to like get a job done. I mean, I don't have to I don't think that this is that bold of a statement, but us as humans, we, we like to be comfortable, uh, you know, like at, at the end of the day. And if you have a choice between a, a job that's comfortable, pays you the same, if not better, um, 
and you don't have to put your your life at risk and think about your family you know when, when you're going up on the side of a building you know i, I think it's just a, an easier path for people yeah. and um you know it's just part of a trend and we're we're just sort of seeing observing and analyzing that trend yeah. and saying to ourselves how do we fit into that picture absolutely yep i think that's true and i think it's something that we all have to wrap our head around uh it comes easier to certain people versus others some people think in terms of possibilities other people are more holding on to some mythical thing in the past in general i find myself more in the camp of what can we do with the future so i say let it ride let's just see where it goes that's generally my approach let's just <laughs> go for it and see what happens you should uh, be our president yeah hey you know uh, I'll, yes. I'll start as your intern and then i'm coming for your job within 30 days we know that that's possible so, all right 100 percent. but along those You're lines hired. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sweet. Right, bye bye. I'm going to take off my microphone right now. Uh, along those lines, people who want to find or, or leapfrog or kick around, move their way up the startup ladder or go from project to project or do any kind of thing like you've done. What 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 are some signs? How does somebody find better projects to work on? I think we can start with the assumption that a lot of people are unhappy with their work. They don't like either the way it's done or, like you said, who they're working for. They may not like their boss or at a fundamental level, I think more people than ever don't align with the mission of what their company is doing. They say, I don't care whether the company does more because it's harming the planet or it's just bad. Or How can somebody fastest get out of a situation and work that they don't like and get into something where they're more valued for their unique skills? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And I'll start with uh, myself and then sort of generalize from there. So, you know, for myself, when I, even when I was like in law school, my, my goal at the end of the day was how do I create a great life for my family that doesn't yet exist? And like, what am I, what am I willing to do in order to put myself in that position to feel like I've provided a great life, you know, for, for my family. And so that's always like my motivation, even before I met my wife, uh, you know, even when I was still in school. Uh, like I, I knew I wanted to, you know, figure out some way to feel like I was successful and I knew it wasn't going to be easy to achieve, even though I had, if I'd gone to Babson, Georgetown, Cardozo as a lawyer here, um, you know, none of those things guarantee any level of success. So, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a time frame and in, in the world where a lot of it's sort of like, what have you done for me lately? True. And so, you know, I, I always looked at myself saying like, I needed to come up with something every single quarter, uh, you know, of the year being like, I want to spearhead something every single quarter of the year, because then at the end of each quarter, uh, you know, I would be able to talk to my boss and be like, Hey, like, you know, check out this thing that, that I did. Here's how it's going, uh, stuff like that. But how do you come up with the ideas? I mean, look, it, it differs business by business, industry by industry. But I don't think that even for people that are unhappy with their jobs, they can't see that there are better ways to do things or more efficient ways to do things or different initiatives that, you know, potentially they can try. Um, and, you know, I, I've spearheaded a bunch of things that uh, even with the success I felt they had, I still didn't get, you know, uh, management approval to, to go along with it, you know, at, at a bigger scale. Uh, but I was never going to stop putting myself out there. I never stop trying, but mm. it's really an attention to detail as well. So you can't just do a lot of things and have it be sloppy and messy. 
uh, as a young person, you're always judged sort of by the work product that you produce. So it is going back and rereading, proof checking your sentences. If you're creating visuals or slides, like trying to make it as close to pixel perfect, uh, you know, like as possible as you're going and just trying to show a level of care that candidly is more rare these days. Um, and, and so that like a real like attention to detail really stands out to people because it shows a level of effort that I think um, maybe historically had been more common. Um, but I, I don't know. I wasn't around 50 years ago, mm. but I, I just like to assume that at some point, you know, people really were on point, you know, with, with everything that they were doing. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I think it's about just trying to look at the world around you. And it could be that, you know, an employee in a different department brings you like, hey, like this is really what's like annoying me about my job. Like sometimes it doesn't always have to relate to everything that, that you're doing. And, you know, you sit through, you chat with them, you understand what, what their problem is, why they think it can be better. And then you try to come up with some solution uh, that works. But basically just like never stop pitching, never stop mm -hmm. pitching yourself. Because by pitching yourself and pitching your ideas out there, you're putting yourself in front of management constantly. And you're always showing them that you're, you're willing to think of new ideas, think differently. You're always there to try to improve the business, uh, you know, that you're in. And I, I might be a little bit different uh, in some cases. Like, there's probably plenty of chances I could have left either of my last two companies. But I, I decided, like, I'm going to stick out these rides because there's as much value in the good times as there are the bad times, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not a, not a quitter um and uh so just you know even even when times like weren't great and that happens in every single job in the planet we're, we're humans we go through cycles whether it's the the economy our bodies our digestive system or otherwise you know like everything comes in cycles and it's not just get, you know my strategy is just don't get too far down and don't get too far up try to sort of be like as level as possible and I think it often like frustrates people candidly because I'll like sit in meetings, uh, you know, with important people and they'll, they'll say something and they're like, expecting some reaction, you know, from me. And I just sit there very calm, cool, collected, uh, you know, don't move my facial expressions, you know, all that much, but, you know, take in information. Um, and then there's other little things like bring a notebook with you when you go to meetings, look like you're taking notes, uh, you know, whether you are or not, I don't know that anyone will ever know. Uh, and I think I've seen people actually taking notes and seen a lot of people not actually, you know, taking notes. Um, but it's these like little things that I think like add up over time. And my mentality in this company, in the last company or wherever I'll go next um, is always that small wins turn into bigger wins and big wins turn into even bigger ones. So you got to start small, focus on things that you can can, can control uh, win each day to win each week, to win each month, to win each year. Uh, you don't go from zero to 100 overnight. It's a process and being wanting to sort of absorb, be a part of, and, um, really try to make the most of that process, I think is how we can all become more well-rounded. Um, which is something I've really appreciated from startups because whether it's telehealth to NFTs to now robotics. These are all things I do nothing about, you know, candidly when, when I joined the company. Uh, but being in a startup means that you're working with a small team 
And, you know, with a small team, you've got to do all the same things that a company 10 times your size needs to be able to do. And so you're pushed in all these different directions. You're constantly out of your comfort zone and you constantly feel like, you know, you're, you're, um, you're treading water, uh, you know, trying to figure out like, am I doing the right thing? Like I've never done this before. And it's, you just have to be uh, okay with that you know, to a certain extent, like have confidence in yourself, like you're a smart person, uh, you know, trust that you're doing the, the right thing. Yeah, make sure you do some research. Like, I'm not saying don't do research and try to find best practices and see how other people have done it. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, that's the beauty of the startup to me, um, is that you just get to push yourself in so many different directions, learn new things, uh, be a part of things you never thought you'd ever be a part of. Um, and really just, you know, work with a great team uh, who's as passionate as you are about what you're doing and see where the journey takes you. Yep. So were you always a slacker or I'm just kidding. That is a complete yeah. joke. No, that's yeah. a joke. Yeah. That's a joke. Obviously, you're a very yeah. driven go-getter person. That's pure yeah, sarcasm. I, uh, I was a slacker at some point, though. I you know. find that very hard to believe. Well, I'll I'm take sure your word for it. I'm someone would tell you a few stories. All right. You know, I... But it does call to mind, like, what what is enough work in your mind? How many hours a day do you put in? What What is a full day to you? Was it always the same? And what can um, you maintain for 30 years? What can I maintain for 30 years? I'll tell you in 26 years. Um, <laughs> but but uh, in terms of, like, what, what a work day to me is, I mean, look, this company has, you know, changed my life to a certain extent. So I work with an, a team in Israel. So very often, you know, I'm starting my first call at around 6.30 a.m. Eastern because um, that's already, you know, 1.30 p.m., you know, in Israel. And I want to spend as much time, you know, with the team in Israel, working with them, uh, making sure we're all aligned on everything that, that's happening, be part of meetings there and, and things like that. Um, but then I get the privilege of, you know, being one of two employees here in the United States for Skyline Robotics. And we've got to build a business here. So, you know, it's it's like having an Israeli workday in the mornings and then wow. transitioning to a U.S. workday yeah. in the afternoons. And then one of the really you know fascinating things about this company is just the level of demand for the product on a global scale. So we put up a basic contact us form, uh, you know, when, when I came into the company. In the last 17 months, I think we've gotten about 550 submissions from about 200 cities around the globe. Wow, And it's it's a really interesting experience on that front, because first of all, not all 550 submissions are we interested in working with everyone, yeah. right? Like we, we, we as a company, we're looking for people who have established businesses who already have customers, and we're looking to integrate our product into their workflows. But, you know, we often have calls late at night as well, uh, just for, for countries that we're speaking to, whether it's Hong Kong or Australia, um, uh, you know, I think those are mostly the overnight, you know, calls that we, we typically have. Uh, but, you know, then it starts over again the next day. But, you know, I, I, what's enough work in, in a day? I think that uh, every, every day I start with a to-do list. Um, I try as best as possible to get through the to-do list. As, as, any, as in any company, things do come up during a day. And sometimes that can, you know, reprioritize your day, you know, like a, as it's happening. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I tried to I try to be transparent with what I'm working on. So my calendar is public to the whole company. Uh, they can see, you know, everything, every call that I'm on, every item that I'm working on, you know, on behalf of the company. Um, and, you know, it's it's there's never enough time. Right. Like I, I have a thousand hours of work to do right now. Uh, so it just seems impossible. Yeah. Uh, to actually be able to do that. But, you know, as long as I come in with a game plan, you know, each day and I can execute close to that game plan, I know I'm prioritizing my time correctly, you know, on behalf of the company. And, um, you know, fr from there, it's just, you know, uh, you know, willingness to, to constantly adjust. And look, if, if, a, if a major opportunity comes up tomorrow, I'm not going to tell them, no, I'm not available tomorrow. Of course, you know, I'll, I'll stay up late. You know, we'll, we'll get the right deck ready. Uh, we'll make sure that we're ready to go. But that's the life of the startup right there. I mean, yeah. it's uh, you just got to be ready for every opportunity that comes your way. Uh, you can't be the one saying no, for the most part. Uh, you know, that's just everyone else's job that you work with or try I to like work that. with. And you prefer the ups and downs, obviously, to whatever you would have done if you had just become a lawyer sitting in a cubicle nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I've grown so much more, uh, certainly from a professional standpoint, but really as a person, um, you know, by being put into a lot of different situations and just having to like figure it out. Like there's so many things in life that as, as we get older, you know, life gets scary, right? Like you grow up, you get married, you got to buy a house, you have Serious. kids. Yeah. Um, like these are all things that like, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people have to deal with, you know, every, every single year. But I think that I, I've been pushed enough to not be scared of a lot of these things. Because uh, it's like, well, if I've, if I've gotten through that problem, that problem, that problem before, I know I'm going to figure this out too. Yeah. You have stared over the proverbial cliff and you have gone down it on the proverbial window washing cart or whatever it's called. Yeah, the basket. I, the basket. I, I'm, also scared, I'm also scared of heights, so I hope I don't ever have to go on a basket. Right, so you have, you have been there and you've seen that it can work out and you have expanded your tolerance for, I don't want to say risk necessarily, but just for all of the, the crazy bits of chaos that startup life offers, it sounds like. Yeah, no, and that's that's half the battle is uh, being in the grind with a team, regardless of what yeah. you're working on, yeah. uh, because you won't find uh, that sort of passion and dedication and willingness to sort of like grow and push yourself as an individual and collectively from a company that, you know, has 10,000, 20,000 employees, yeah. uh, you know, people uh, go in, get their job done go home and enjoy their life or their perspective of enjoying life, you know, at mm -hmm. least. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there, there's a limited time frame where we all can like physically push ourselves. Um, you know, when I'm 60 years old, 70 years old, I don't imagine I'm going to be able to work the same number of hours, but like right now at this point in my life, you know, we, we can make it happen. We can have big dreams and we can, can go chase ambition uh, by doing the, trying to do the right thing each day. I absolutely love that, and I think you're exactly right. It's something that we've heard a, a, a few times before, so I know we're kind of uh, running short on time here. I just wanted to ask you a couple quick closing uh, remarks. Is there something that's unusual that you believe that you feel like nobody else believes? Oh, man. Um, I don't think I'm that different. 
you know, I, I, I think that I, you know, try to learn as much from myself as I, as I can read online or in books or in speaking with people. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that there's some unique belief that I have. I think actually the cliche things uh, like make a lot of sense, you know, to me. And, you know, I tell my team all the time, you know, all I'm asking of you is to come into work every day with an open mind, positive attitude and a willingness to get 1% better. Um, cause I really think that as cliche as that is, um, you know, again, you, you don't take leaps and bounds every single day, but you can make small improvements. You can push yourself a little bit in this direction, push yourself in a little bit in that direction. So I think, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, my spirit really comes back to my high school soccer coach who despised me and made me run a lot of laps, yeah. uh, cause I might've been a little bit overweight, uh, you know, for a soccer player. And he constantly was on me, just telling me to push, you know, get out of your comfort zone, push yep. yourself. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, it's like resonated with me, you know, as something, uh, you know, that I believe in. So I don't think that I'm like different or, or unique, uh, you know, on that front. Um, I don't believe that people have to have gotten five degrees to be brilliant. I don't think that people have, have had to graduate college even to be brilliant and, and be an asset to you. I don't think that the the traditional perspective on how you evaluate a prospective employee you know necessarily makes a lot of sense because uh, there's really smart people in a lot of ways and it's tough to find really smart people uh, who are willing to come and join you on your journey because uh, there's so many other journeys they could go on you know as well um, I think you just have to be willing to look at people for who they are and you know try to really just understand like is this person a solution for me? Like, forget about the credentials. Yes, you hope they have some experience, but probably you don't think they're going to be a solution for you without that experience. And just, you know, get to know people, um, you know, as best as you can through the interview process. Um, don't just ask standard questions, push conversations in different directions and see how people think. I love it. Well, Ross, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's been fascinating to get to know you. Obviously, you're on a rocket ship trajectory forward. I wish you nothing but success. I know you've got a crazy day ahead of you, so I want to be very mindful of your time. But again, thank you so much for joining. And where can people check you out? It's SkylineRobotics.com. What's the website? Yeah, SkylineRobotics.com. We've got a LinkedIn, YouTube okay. uh, page that we uh, you know, update right, somewhat regularly at least. Uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you guys want to follow us. Uh, we're on a journey to, to change the way an industry has been done. It's not an easy journey, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get a to, to do the right things at every at each and every day, and I'm gonna learn how to speak in the process as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're already there. I love it. It's fantastic. I have no doubt you're doing great. Uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Oh, 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 oh.